I'm Dwight Walder. I'm one of the elders here at uh, Calvary. I'll be filling in for pastor this morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. I'll be reading from the NASD. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Reprove yourselves, doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he's looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. May God bless his word. We're going to look at James chapter 1, and I'm, I know it's not much of a Christmas message in that sense, but it is this I wanted to focus on as we look at this piece of scripture is to prove ourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves in verse 22. And this is the season where we can actually put that into practice quite a bit. But in the previous verses, we have some things that can help us apply that. And that's what I'd like to look at this morning. Things that James, you know, James is a very Jewish book. The one thing about James, and I've heard this before, people are like, James, you're going to teach other James. Doesn't it contradict the rest of the Bible? No, calm down, settle down. No, James is a very practical book. But the one thing we have to understand, it's a very Jewish book. Well, actually, the whole Bible is Jewish, if you think about it. Christianity, by the way, is a Jewish sect. We do worship Yeshua Messiah, which is the Messiah of the Jews. So we, are, we have to understand that when James writes the book, as it says in uh, chapter 1, verse 1, James, a bondservant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are in dispersed abroad, Greetings. So he's writing the book to other Jews. Jesus, or James being the brother of Jesus, first-hand teaching, we see a lot in the book of James from Jesus' teachings. As a matter of fact, a lot of times if you're reading through James, you can read through a lot of the uh, Sermon on the Mount and some of those things, you can see a lot of parallels. The other thing about James is that it's written in a proverbial format. It's like Proverbs. It has short, pithy sayings. If you go through Proverbs, there's a lot of wisdom sayings. It's the same thing we see with James. He follows the same kind of format, giving us short things uh, to, to look at. For instance, be uh, your, prove yourself doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. That in itself is a wisdom that we can unpack. He talks about other things, you know, as we go, as we look through the whole letter, short little things, you know. Uh, chapter 3, let not many of you be teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such you'll incur stricter judgment. Oh boy. A lot of times James strikes home when we read it. We read things in it that really mean a lot. Things that actually come down to the fact that we have to apply them to our lives. So this morning I'd like to take a few things here from these few verses, 19 through 25, and look at how we can practically apply them to be doers of the word 
and not only hearers. Now, there's a lot more to be said about being doers. He talks about it in chapter 2, about the fact that we shouldn't discriminate against people because of their status. We shouldn't do that. He talks about the fact in the last part of chapter 2, and we studied this in Sunday school. So if I drift off, into, uh, we talked about verses 14 through 26 of chapter 2, faith without works is dead. So if I drift off into that, forgive me, I'll come back. Hopefully we will. So I got that on my brain. I need to set that aside for a minute. But those are practical things. How do I put my faith into action? How, do, how does it happen? We see a lot of this. How do I control my tongue in chapter 3? How do I help people? How do I do these things? And as we come into the Christmas season, it is a time of year, a lot of times, where we have the opportunity to actually do that. And I want us to look at a few verses here as we go through James. As we talk about verses 19, he starts off talking about our language, our speech. In 19 through 20, he talks about controlling our speech as well as our temper, our anger. In verse 21, he talks about living right and humbly accepting the word that is implanted in us. And in 25, 22 through 25, he talks more about how to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. So in the time we have together, if you bear with me, let's see if we can go through these and learn a few things that we can take home with us, put into application to reach other people and help other people. He says, verse 19, this you know. Now that little phrase right there really says, know this. James is saying it with power in the phrase, know this. So know this, my beloved brethren. But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And here he's talking about our speech. A lot of times the way we speak, the way we listen, the way we get angry, can be a stumbling block to application of our faith. If we want to be a doer, then we need to learn how to listen, how to speak, and then how to be angry. Excuse me. Christians are not supposed to ever be angry. Mm, I bear to differ. He doesn't say not to be angry here. He just says be slow to anger. But first he talks about be a listener. He says, look, be, what does he say? Quick to hear. Be a listener. In our day and age, this is very important. It's one of the things that we don't think about. How can I be a good listener? Quick to hear means that I need to listen to what people are saying to me. In ancient times, there were some really good quotes about listening. One person said this, Men have two ears, but one tongue, that they might hear more than they speak. I thought, okay, that makes sense. But this one I thought was really well. The ears are always open, ever ready to receive instruction. But the tongue is surrounded with a double row of teeth to hedge it in to keep it within its proper bounds. And my wife would agree with that. Because sometimes I can be a yacker. Just ask my Sunday school class. If they get me off on war stories about my Air Force service, that's all we're going to do for the rest of the time. But sometimes you have to be an effective listener. You have to learn to turn off the tongue and turn on the ears. Because often what we do is we listen to answer. Well, we're talking about airplanes. Well, let me see. Let me see. He's talking about airplanes right now. Let me see. How can I come up with a better story than he's got about airplanes? And I got a lot of them. I was in the Air Force 20 years. I got a lot of stories about airplanes. 
But that's not what I should be doing. What I should be doing, if I want to be a good listener, is first off, I got to listen to the Word of God. That's evident. I got to listen to what it's saying to me. And maybe overall, that's what he's trying to say. But I also need to listen to what the Word of God tells me and how to apply it to the other people. So when I'm listening to the Word, if I'm listening to God, then when I talk to you, I better be listening. And as an elder here at Calvary, that's very important for me. But it's very important for all of us to learn to listen. Learn to listen to our spouse. Learn to listen to our children. Learn to listen to our friends. Learn to listen. Today they call it active listening. Which simply means I'm focused on what you're saying. I'm focused on your body language. I'm focused on what's going on. I'm talking to my wife. I have to be focused on what she's saying. How her body language is. You want to do what? You want to go where? You want to buy what? Hmm, I better be listening to what's going on. When I talk to anybody, especially when I'm trying to apply the Word of God, I need to listen to what people are saying. If I'm talking to somebody who doesn't know the Lord, I need to listen. What are they actually saying? What are they actually worried about? I need to watch their body language when they're talking to me. I don't know. I just don't know about this God thing. Maybe they really are doubting. Maybe they really are questioning. Sometimes I have to ask questions to listen. Wait a minute. Did I hear you say? Is that really what you meant? Wait a minute. When you say that, I hear this. Because our terms today have to almost always be defined when we talk about the Lord, even to fellow believers. We have to define our terms. What do you mean about, oh, I'll pray for you. What does that mean? Am I really going to pray for you? Or am I on the way home in the car? Oh, God help somebody. They really need your help. Thank you. Is that the only way I'm going to pray? I have to listen. But then that listening should cause me to be slow to respond. Slow to speak. In other words, what he's trying to say there is think about what you're going to say before you say it. That's my problem. Sometimes I don't think about what I'm going to say before I say it. But I have learned over the years of my 38 years being married to my wonderful wife is to pause a moment and consider the words that are about to exit my mouth. Because they can have ramifications. Sometimes good ones, most of the time not so good. Although I've never had to sleep on the couch. But we won't talk about that. But I have to learn. It says in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. If you're talking, you're not listening. But if I'm listening, and now it's my turn to talk, I need to think about the response. How is it going to affect? You know, when I first, when I was in Utah, uh, Caseville Bible Church, wonderful church that Barbara and I spent 13 years in, in Utah, uh, one of the, the pastor there at that time, uh, Steve Mix, he, he, he taught me an, one of the many, he was a mentor, valuable lessons about teaching and preaching. And there's a difference, by the way. I'm, he taught me a valuable lesson. He had me stand up, it was an empty church, I, I came over to the church and met him. He had me stand in the pulpit like this, and he went and sat in the pew. And he said, my name is Mary so-and-so. I'm divorced. I got two kids. I'm struggling to pay my bills. Then he got up and he moved over and he sat down in another section. And he said, my name is Joe somebody. And I'm married and I got five kids 
And I'm about to go crazy. And he did this several times in different places with different things. And he said, now, when you get up there, you, you know these people. And you understand a bit of their life. If you're a good listener, you know more about their life. And then when you go to preach and when you go to teach, it's not that you're going to compromise what you say, but you're going to understand how it's going to affect that person when you say it. So that later in a private conversation, you're going to know. So when you be slow to speak, be slow. In other words, think about it before you say it. It doesn't mean that you have to avoid saying things that's going to offend people, because I guarantee you as a believer, you're going to offend somebody. It's just going to happen. But the point is, is that when you say it, you've thought about it. And then you say it. And then you realize. But if you're busy talking and not busy listening, then you're not going to know what to say. Don't ever speak, don't ever listen with an agenda, but speak with wisdom. But then he tags on the end of that, it's slow to anger. As a matter of fact, you could take these three and use them in an argument. If, so, if you're arguing with somebody, if you're having a really big disagreement, you could be quick to listen, slow to speak, and then slow to anger. It's interesting what that means there. Be slow to anger. The word, <laughs> the word, uh, the word actually means when you, to be slow is to be, be a little, be a little thick. It's going to take a whole box of matches to get you lit up. But notice he doesn't say not to be angry, but he says be slow to anger. So that brings, begs the question, well, wait a minute. You mean I can be angry? Yeah, I think you can. But I think there's two different types of anger, broadly speaking. The anger that most of us deal with is the selfish anger. It's the quick, unrestrained temper that flows from a rash decision or a rash statement. And then there's right, what we call right, righteous indignation. Let me, let me, let me break it down real quick. Just, just, you know, Selfish anger, getting angry, getting mad, blowing up, usually is because we didn't get our way. Now, I can speak as a husband to know this has happened to me more than once. I didn't get my way. I wanted to do X. She wants to do Y. Well, I get mad about it. Well, why? It's because I don't want to do what she wants to do. Why not? Well, why not? Well, matter of fact, that's maybe a better way to do it. Selfish anger is much more common. It's getting upset when somebody cuts in front of you in line. This happens to me all the time, especially when you pull up to the drive-thru. Oh, look, there's nobody at the drive-thru. Let me, 15 cars, right in front of you, that fast. Thank you very much, God, for teaching me patience. Or, you know, rude drivers. This is pretty common on the parkway. Uh, rude drivers. Almost anywhere it can happen. Getting upset, banging on the dashboard, blowing the horn for no reason. Not because you're about to run over them, but because of the fact that you're just mad because they cut in front of you in traffic. Get used to it. That's just the way it is. Yelling at our spouse in the midst of an argument. Raising our voices. I learned that one really well. My wife's a very sensitive person, so I've learned not to raise my voice if we're having a disagreement about something. It doesn't mean I'm not angry. It just simply means that I'm not going to raise my voice. But when I practice not raising my voice, I actually calm down. 
bad, selfish anger sometimes retaliating over a verbal abuse. But I'll say this. Sometimes it's because we feel like we were wronged or insulted or mistreated. But I think 100% of the time, that's the anger that's sin. That's the anger that's selfish anger. But what about righteous indignation or righteous anger? This is anger that motivates us to do good. It's the anger that says, you know, I'm so upset about this, I'm going to act on it properly. You might get upset because people are violating God's moral code. It gets stirred up because the weak and defenseless are abused or mistreated. Jesus got angry because people were doing business in the temple in his house. We may get upset of the treatment of orphans. We may get angry at perpetrators of human trafficking. We may get angry because abortion is tolerated, legalized, and promoted. Maybe we get angry because of domestic abuse. But those things should motivate us to do good. Maybe I'm angry at human traffickers, so it motivates me to start a process to save those, to rescue those individuals. Maybe it's the process where we, you set up a, a way for abused families to be helped. It's funneled. Maybe you're the one that goes down to the state house and starts pushing for a law to prevent some atrocity, such as abortion. Righteous indignation motivates you to do good, not to lash out and to hurt, but to reach out and to help. If I want to be slow to be angry, sometimes I need to be dull. I need to let it roll off my back. I need to practice letting it roll over me. When I was much younger as a teenager, I did have a lot of anger problems. And usually, almost always, it was always because I didn't get my way. But after spending 20 years in the military being told what to do and whether I like it or not, I learned to just let it roll off my back. I had a colonel one time who I, I was a shift supervisor and um, I drove an expire truck. I would go, I had about 17 airplanes to take care of, long story short, but to make, to make the story shorter because of time, I parked my truck in the wrong place when I went in to, to do some work at the uh, at the headquarters. And this colonel came out and, buddy, he let me have it for parking in the wrong place. He used, he used, uh, there were cuss words in there I'd never heard for. I mean, he used the most colorful language I ever heard. And I just sat there and the Lord told me, he said, don't get mad about it, just let it go. Let it roll off your back. I could have got defensive about it and said, well, look, I'm working hard. i got things to do. You're just riding around in your truck smoking cigarettes. What do you? No, that's not the point. But God brought me the strength to just let it roll off my back. And I went to him later and I said, sir, you had every, opp- you had every right to discipline me, every right to discipline me for what I did. I did wrong. I just don't appreciate the language. Please don't use the foul language. He apologized to me. Didn't mean I didn't do wrong. Sometimes you just got to let it roll off your back. You got to let it go. And sometimes, if you want to control it, have a little empathy. Have a little empathy. Try to understand what the other person's upset about and why they're upset about it. Think about it. Be slow to let your anger. That way, you're thinking about it, and it just let it pass right over you. And I know it's a challenge. 
But it's something we have to learn. Because he says in the next verse, For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Hasty, uncontrolled anger is sin because it violates the standards of conduct that God demands for his people. Anger is inconsistent with Jesus' command to love our enemies and not to, and, and, and to love our brothers as, and uh, love our neighbors as ourselves. If we get angry and try to do, we usurp God's position as judge. It's not living the way God wants us to live. So it's important. If we're going to be doers of the word, we need to be able to listen. We need to be able to be slow to respond. We also need to control our anger, control our temper. You can actually use that verse when, when, when you're having a disagreement with somebody. Listen to what they're saying. Be slow to respond and then be slow to get angry. Control your temper. Then he says in verse 21, the next thing that we need to do is put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility. In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Because of what comes before, we need to put aside, put away. We need to get rid of the, the picture is taking off your coat, taking off those when he says put aside, it's a picture of taking off the dirty clothes and putting on clean clothes. Now, this may be a reference to a previous lifestyle, how, people, how they used to live before they came to know God. But we have to put away that impurity spiritually, mentally, physically. We need to put that all aside. If we're going to be what God, the doers that God wants us to be, we have to put aside all of that wickedness and filthiness that was in our lives, dirty jokes, what we watch, what we see, what we hear. We've got to push that all aside. And when we do, the result is, in humility, we'll receive the implanted word, which saves our souls. The word of God, once it's implanted in us and comes to be part of us, will put that stuff away. It will humble you in a heartbeat. When you look, you compare yourself to the way God wants us to live, and then you look at your life, and we'll talk about looking in the mirror here in just a minute. But when you look at your life, it will definitely humble you and help you to understand that that Word, the Word of God that's planted in your heart, that's put in your heart, will save your soul. And that's important. It should cause action in your life. That faith, that word should cause action. It should cause you to be able to say, I'm going to put this stuff out of my life. I'm going to get rid of this stuff. That helps me be a better doer. Because I'm getting rid of the clutter. I'm taking off that old tattered jacket. I'm putting aside that, you know, thing. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's something else. Whatever it is, I put it aside. And I say, you know, I'm going to do that because... God's shown me. I want to be a. He's shown me that what He's done for me, and that that brings humility. And after all, He saved me. Wow! The God of the universe, who created everything around us and everything out there in the midnight in the, in the night. You look at all that universe. You go, wow! He did all that. He spoke it into existence. Who am I? I'm just this. 
Yet he loved me enough to send his son to live for me, die for me, and rise again for me. That should humble me. And also humble me to understand that that's what saves me. That word, that truth that someone brought to me, that gospel, that good news, that there is a way to escape the sin in my life. And God's provided it. And if I want to be a doer, then that's what I need to learn. Then, of course, he says, to prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Then he gives us examples of both. He gives us the example of the person who hears but doesn't do. And then he gives us the example of the doer. So let's start with the first one. For if anyone be a hearer in the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten the kind of person he was. So, if I'm the kind of person who is not a doer, I'm like the person who looks in the mirror and then didn't know what he saw. Well, in that day, they used polished metal for a mirror, and sometimes it would be distorted. But when you look in a mirror, you can see yourself. <laughs> the illustration I used in Sunday school when I taught this is like in the morning when I shave, and I'll be shaving, you know, and I'll be like, oh, man, cut myself, bleeding, what we do. You stick a little piece of toilet paper on there, you know, back in the, they got, so I take a little piece of toilet paper and stick it on that cut right there. And then I go about my business and somebody looks at me at work and goes, um, is that a new fashion statement? What? What are you talking about? Well, that little thing you've got on your chin. What? Well, that little piece of toilet paper you got on your chin. Oh, I forgot all about that. A hearer who's not a doer hears the word but doesn't act on it. He hears it, maybe even, you know, comes to church, hears preaching every Sunday, maybe comes to Sunday school pretty faithfully or whatever. You know, he may do everything, but when he walks out of the building, it's all gone. They listen, but they don't act. Well, what, what don't they act on? He gives us that when he talks about the hearer and the doer. But the one in verse 25, who looks intently at the perfect law of liberty and abides by it, in other words, he does it, not having become a forgetful hearer, he doesn't forget what he heard, but an effectual doer. That means a doer of deeds. That phrase, an effectual doer, means a doer of deeds. He becomes an effectual. He is effective. He does it. This person will be blessed in what he does. So be a warning. He's saying, look, if you're going to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only, then you need to do it. In other words, when you look, when you hear God's word, when you look at God's word, when you read God's word, it's like a mirror. Maybe it's like a moral mirror. It's a moral mirror. I look at it, and when I read the Word of God, I see how God sees me. A dirty, rotten sinner. 
filthy. I see all the things that God asks of me and know that I'm not doing them. I look in that and I see that. So what's my decision? Do I see all of that and then go, mm-hmm, no big deal. I'll just go on and do like I always do in my life. I'll just continue to do whatever I'm doing, right or wrong. Or do I look at it and go, whoa, time out. This is not good. Wait a minute. God says that I should do this, and I'm not doing that. Man, I need to think about that. And then you think about it. You chew on it. You dwell on it. You see it. You walk away from the message, the church, the Sunday school, the small group. You walk away from it thinking about it, going, wow, now, what am I going to do about this? Barb and I, I was looking at, um, I found one of Barb's old Bibles, and um, there's more red ink in that Bible I've ever seen in my life, where she wrote down the margins and on the sides, making notes about things she'd learned in messages and points. And I was like, wow, you know, I think I need to read through some of this. You know, that's what a doer does. Because he calls the law there, he says, the law, perfect law, that means it's complete. That word perfect means it's complete. God's word is complete in the sense that it tells us everything we need to know about life and ourselves. And it is liberty. It's freedom. People say to me, you know, that book's full of rules and regulations and I don't want... it's just a bunch of do's and don'ts. There's a lot more don'ts than do's. I, hey, I beg to differ with you. There's more do's in there than don'ts. But that's beside the point. And they say, oh, you know, I just... And they want to throw that off and go do what they want to do. That's called sin. And what they don't realize is they're bound in the chains of sin. Doing what they want to do morally can lead to addictions, chemical addictions. Mental addictions, it can lead to all kinds of trials, all kinds of things that if you just said no, if you just turned away, if you just done what God said, you would be free from that. Free to do right. Freedom from the drugs, freedom from the alcohol. I can talk firsthand about that one. Being a recovering alcoholic, I can talk, I can talk about being free from that. Being free from all these other, being free from the world and what they think and how they act and what they do. I can be free from all of that, free to live the way God wants me to live. And I'll have a lot better life, I'll tell you right now. A lot better life. Because the law of God is complete. Everything we need to know. And it's liberty. It's freeing. So if you're going to be an effectual doer, if you're going to be a doer of deeds... And, buddy, when you have faith, it has to result in actions. Now, I am going to go to meddling a little bit in chapter 2. If you really believe what God says in that word, then you will act on it. In your life, in the way you walk, talk, in the way you think, you'll act on it. You'll do something. You'll act on it. Faith demands, demands change. If you've come to know Christ as your personal Savior, there should be change in your life. No matter how small, there should be change. Sometimes the change is a little progressive. It takes a little time. Sometimes the change is instantaneous. When I came to know the Lord, I quit smoking cold turkey. I quit drinking cold turkey. 
And I tell you what, it wasn't easy. It was a challenge. Sitting in the chow hall, finishing a good meal. Well, that's debatable whether chow hall food's good or not. But anyway, it's free. Well, not really, but it's in. And I'd get done with that meal, and I'd reach into my pocket for a cigarette. And I'd go, okay, God, you promised. And the verse I, I clung to that whole time, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Context or not, I hung on to that verse. I recited that verse more than once in more than one place. You said, you promised, you said, faith demands action. If you're going to be a doer of deeds, then you're going to look at God's Word and you're going to act on it. You're going to see it. You're going to do it. And it should motivate you to do whatever. Now, let me close with this. In the last two verses, which I didn't read, he gives us a bit of a test, which really rolls, the thought starts again in verse 26 and rolls through the rest of chapter, the first part of chapter 2. But he says, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, now we're going back to tongue control, which he not only talked about in our speech, you know, quick to hear, slow to speak. He also talks about it in chapter 3. The tongue is like a fiery flame, but we won't go there. He says, if you don't bridle your tongue, but this, he says, does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. If you don't, if you don't control your tongue, your religion, boy, that's a test. But he doesn't stop there. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. What? To visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You want to be a doer of the word? Then take care of those that are underprivileged. Now, in that day, widows and orphans were the most underprivileged people in the world because women's role in that society was down next to the bottom of the ground. And if you were a widow without a husband to take care of you or sons to take care of you, you had no rights in that society. And orphans were even worse off. And he's saying here, look, if you think you've got religion, then you need to control the way you talk and you need to help those that are underprivileged. Now, in our society today, there's plenty of people that are underprivileged. Plenty of people in this city that need help. The rescue mission, you want to find a place to be a doer? Well, the rescue mission is one place to start. There's plenty of food banks around here where you could go serve and, and give out food to people. I used to, when I was in Utah, I spent a lot of time with, at the Ogden Rescue Mission, and you have not experienced life do you preach and teach to street people? It'll do two things. It'll make you thankful and it'll make you humble. I, there was a guy who came in one of the services. In order to eat at that mission, they had to sit through a, a 20 or 30 minute message before they could eat. It was all free. So this guy comes in. He's very disheveled, what I would call a typical street guy. And I talked to him once or twice before. Nice guy, really nice. He walks over to the piano and sits down at the piano, and he says, do you want any music? And I said, well, that would be nice. While we're, and he started playing the most beautiful hymns from memory I'd ever heard. And he played a perfect piano. And I was amazed. And it was a blessing. God brought him in to do that one thing. But it will make you humble to understand that if you think you're a religious person and you want to be a doer and not just a hearer, 
then you need to learn to control your tongue. That goes back to being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. It's a fact that we also have to put, us, put off all the things in our lives that get in our way. We need to look at the Word of God and see what it's telling us and remember what it's telling us and not just walk away from it. And we need to reach out to those that are underprivileged in this world. And then the last thing he says there is to keep yourself unstained from the world. In other words, don't let the world affect you. Let it slide off you like Teflon. Be the Teflon person. And let that stuff of the world just slide right off of you. Because it's not worth it. One day it's going to be gone. Everything you see, it's all going to be gone. And one thing's for sure, when you die, you won't see a U-Haul behind the hearse. It just ain't going to happen. So, to close, ask yourself a couple of questions. Say to myself, do I read the Bible with a humble desire to have God teach me and change me? Am I a good listener when God's talking to me? Does my faith manifest itself in deeds of kindness to those who cannot repay me? That may be people in the church as well as outside the church. Lord, help us to be doers of the word and not only hear, not just hearers, but doers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and knowledge, Lord, that you give us. And I know, Father, there might be somebody listening on Facebook or the website. There may be somebody in this very auditorium that listens to what I'm saying and says, I don't even know God. Father, it's so clear in your word that if if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You say over and over in in your word that if we just reach out to you and believe in the fact that your son came and lived for us and died for us and rose again for us, and that through his shed blood you will forgive us of our sins, cleanse us and make us a new person, I just pray they would do that today. They would take that time, sometime today, to think about what's been said here. To think about the freedom your word offers. To think about all that you give us through your Holy Spirit. All that you give us through your Son. And they might come to know you as Savior. Father, I pray that you'd help us that know you. To put into action the things that you say in your word. Lord, that we would listen to people. We'd be slow to speak in response. We'd be slow to anger, Father. But if we do get angry, we would channel that to do good, to reach people. Father, help us to apply this. Help us to be doers. Help us to read your word and study it. Help us to hear the messages in small group and in Sunday school and in the church services. That we would look at that and that we wouldn't just walk away and forget it. But that we would take it home and think about it. Maybe just one thing. Maybe just one little thing. Help us to take that home and help us, Father, to act on it. And give us the strength to be those doers, to reach out to those that are underprivileged, those that are less than, help us to reach out to them in any way we can. And help us to share the gospel along the way, the good news of your son, especially during this time of year where we celebrate the birth of your son. It's a perfect time, Father, to share with others. Not only his birth, but his life. All that he said and did, it's in Scripture, his death and his resurrection. 
And I thank you, Father, for the privilege this morning. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.